0: Hey, outsiders. Welcome back. I'm Angelique. And I'm Margaret. And this is Invisible. All right. It is episode two. Uh, We're recording about a week after we dropped our first episode, which is pretty impressive for two chronically ill working parent spouse people. I'm impressed with us.
1: I feel honestly, it wouldn't have happened if it weren't for the you, though, because all the anxiety has made it really difficult for me to move forward with
0: literally every part of this process. Um, True story. Y'all, she and the hubs edited episode one and dropped it. And she didn't tell a soul like a few days later. I'm like, hey, I know you guys planned to do the editing last weekend. How'd that go? And she's like, oh, yeah, it's done. We posted it. And I was like, "Can, can, can I hear that? Can I get a link for that? But anxiety was getting in your way. Anxiety always
1: gets in my way. And it's honestly, it's Attila's fault that this got done at all. And I mean that in a good way because he set it up thank and you, showed me. Attila. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Attila. That's what we mean by it's his fault. We mean, thank you, Attila. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> like a funny thing. Um, so he showed me the basics of editing and then he left me to my own devices <laughs> And he came in at some point later on. I have no idea how long it's been because I literally have no ability to track time. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was like, okay, so how many more minutes do you have left? And we initially had about an hour of recording, you know, Mm -hmm. including the pauses and all the ums and likes that we had to edit out. And I think I was in about 20 minutes. And he was like, oh, how long is it? Oh, um, honey, it's okay. Because he watched me edit and listen to like the same three seconds over and over and over and over again until I could get it absolutely perfect. And after a while, like he gave me some tips and he left me alone. Then he came back and he's like, um, it's okay. It's okay as it is. Like we can just post it. Mm -hmm. And so that's how it happened because I would have spent legitimately another 10 hours at least making it literally perfect
0: what did we say last week? Recovering perfectionists?
1: There are some giant quotation marks around that. Giant quotation marks. Uh, so in any case, though, before we get off on that tangent and talk about editing yes, forever. Speaking
0: of editing, actually, almost, Yeah. Um, we learned that when I have to take the extra pain meds and I ramble a little bit and <laughs> my teammates here... Clean that way up and make me sound better. I don't necessarily convey my point very well. So some of what I said that got lost on the editing floor last week uh, is important to me. So I was we were talking about how almost immeasurably difficult it is to be medically complex and have like we we joke about having like specialists that do you get to count them or not because you didn't stay with them they're not special enough specialists and all that and I talked about how my knee pain really started that I remember around like 20 years ago and I made some comments about like people that were encouraging me to like lose weight first and build strength first included my husband my closest friends Uh, Ange and I were working out together sometimes Mm -hmm. Um, my physician what I didn't make clear is they did that lovingly I felt well supported. It was great. I I, I thought what I've learned about 20 years later is I probably already had arthritis. And I'm sure you did, honestly. Yeah. And that what I've learned later is I've probably had a very complex medical situation with all of my lower extremities for the bulk of my life, and it was really starting to show in my mid to late 20s. But because of the culture of larger bodies, uh, heavier people, anyone you might call even remotely overweight, we look at in the medical field as well as across American culture as that's the number one problem. And we have to do this first. It was one more barrier to seeing my whole picture. And I was, again, I was super rambly and you cleaned me up really uh, last week, but my point was lost. My point was not about any of the people telling me the things. My point was about the culture.
1: Yes. And, you know, it kind of makes me wonder almost if your medical providers at the time when you addressed that concern initially, if they even asked about your prior medical history.
0: I don't think they did. I've been talking a lot with my medical team in the last few years as this has become a more pronounced problem, really affecting daily living, requiring Mm -hmm. imaging and things like that about the fact like, oh, well, yeah, I was born with this condition. It's like not in my chart. And I think... Oh, and I did all of these things. And I liked this high impact type of stuff. And this was the corrective care I got for my ankles. I was born with my feet completely turned in, toes overlapping. And the care, the standard of care at the time that my parents and my medical team did was corrective shoes with the bar Mm -hmm. in the crib and into like a hard soled, pretty, I think most of them were like a hard leather, really firm, Mm -hmm. um, mostly over the ankle up well into like grade school years. None of us actually remember when I stopped wearing them Right at this point. That was the standard of care. That's what we know. That changed some things about how some things developed in my body. Yes. And what has taken the brunt of it is my knees. They're the largest joint in the body. I love to bike ride, run, jump. Do yoga. Do yoga. Um, And I tap danced a lot for a really long time in my young years.
1: And so if they'd had the knowledge they do now, and there weren't the barrier of, let's look at the picture um, that we see on the outside just with our eyeballs first. Mm -hmm. They might have been able to give you advice that would have steered you in a different direction, maybe, you know, with your exercise, or you might have had imaging done that would have led to, Mm -hmm. yes, sooner, that would have led to interventions that may have prevented some of what you're dealing with now.
0: Or we could have known earlier what path this body was always going to be on. Right. And I could have then had the knowledge to maybe make different choices. Maybe I was going to continue to prioritize losing weight, building strength having a smaller body i probably would have really focused on less high impact exactly i real i wouldn't have gone to step aerobics i never would have run 5k's there's so many things that are so hard but i thought i was a big strong person who'd never broken a bone in her whole life and i could I kind of thought, oh, I'm in my 20s and now early 30s. I can just kind of pound away at this. I won't be able to forever. So I might as well now. If I'd already known that I already had beginning arthritis in my knees, and if we had pieced together those dots of it probably is related to a condition I was born with, Mm -hmm. that may have changed some choices. I also would have been a candidate probably for imaging much earlier.
1: Oh, yes. I'm sure you would
0: have. And depending on what we saw in those images... I might have had pain relief options that were, well, I might have had pain relief options, period. (laughs) I was going to say, I think that stands alone. But also less confusion. You know, I also deal with some mental health issues. And when you have mental health issues and when you have chronic pain issues, they get really tangled in your head really fast.
1: Well, and I'd like to interject with the fact that on top of providers sometimes seeing weight first, the mm-hmm. size of your body first, mm-hmm. and that being a barrier to access to care through those providers. We're also women. And mm-hmm. so very often women are dismissed because, and this goes back to a, you know, a historical norm of women's emotions being seen as the cause of problems right. that were legitimate and medical. Mm-hmm. Um, women being called hysterical, And being, you know, 100 years ago, you could have been locked in an asylum if you really intensely advocated for yourself and the difficulties you were having, depending on how it was received. And so we've come a long way from that. Mm -hmm. But women's problems are often dismissed. Their pain is dismissed. Mm -hmm. It can be falsely linked to something that's hormonal.
0: I'm going to interrupt you there about pain. For a long time, I thought... And other people around me mentioned it. I think a lot of people around me, we thought I was a person with a low pain tolerance, probably because I had pain in my knees. I'm pretty sure now I have a very high pain tolerance. Mm -hmm. I have very clearly been tolerating significant bone damage and degeneration. For years. For 20 years. And...
1: Because other folks saw other things first, mm-hmm. they convinced you of that. And and again, with um, those of us who deal with mental health, you know, diagnoses and the concerns that go with that, pain is often dismissed. Now, I mm-hmm. will say that it is common for the body to react physically to mental health concerns. So that's legitimate. Mm-hmm. It's also just as common that those concerns are dismissed and not investigated because they are seen as just psychosomatic. Mm-hmm. I feel that there is, you know, there is the beginning of research that is helping us understand the complicated interrelationship between those two things. But when you have a patient who deals with depression, anxiety, and or other conditions, and you dismiss their pain and tell them that essentially it's their fault if they would just lose the weight or if they just had a high pain tolerance or if they just, and I hate that word, just, if they just did. I'm pretty sure
0: you're on the wrong track if Part of your vocabulary is, well, if you just.
1: Just is a judging word. but So
0: judgmental.
1: But when you give that information to someone who is aware of their mental health concerns, mm-hmm. then they internalize it and they can start to believe that that pain isn't valid in a Mm -hmm. physical sense, and that it doesn't need to be addressed medically. And so I think that that's what happened to you. I mean, I suspect that in any case. Um, It also makes me think of another topic that you wanted to bring up, which is examples of folks in your life that dealt with chronic pain. And I I think of your mom Mm -hmm. and... And I can't speak to her experience, medically speaking, but I do wonder if her pain was dismissed and not dealt with appropriately in part because she is a woman. I'm sure in part it had to do with knowledge that maybe wasn't available because it didn't exist yet, but I would be wildly unsurprised if it were also in part due to the fact that she's a woman and so pain is dismissed, or just assumed to be part of a mental health concern, um, or just assumed to be something that we can deal with, because maybe it's hormonal, and there's nothing to do about it. Mm -hmm. In any case, um, you know, I'll let you take that topic and run with it. But it was something that I thought of as we're talking.
0: Yeah. So for starters, after listening to our uh, first episode, I realized totally wrong, like epically wrong. So Uh, When I make a mistake, I like to own up to it, and I like to apologize. Same. Mama, I'm sorry. I forgot what you dealt with. When I was a kid, when I was a teenager, sometimes still, I I will sometimes even say, oh, yeah, back problems run in the family. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm learning that actually genetically I have uh, not great bones, and I have a lot of very not charming ways, although I find them hilarious, to to describe. Uh, What I think of my bones, (laughs) genetically speaking. (laughs) And yet, even though I know that for a long time, my mom dealt with very severe back pain and she was working and parenting and Mm -hmm. married and all the things, I said when we recorded our first episode that I didn't have examples of what it looked like to be in midlife dealing with a complex medical situation and all these other things. Mm-hmm. and I think it's because so much of her story and anyone else that has been in my life that has had chronic pain issues, it gets swept to the side. Even though I watched my own mom go through a lot, and for a long time, I forgot. She managed to still be invisible. And that happens so often. It It does. I mean, it's ridiculous to me that I didn't connect the dots of that's what it could look like to be dealing with what I'm dealing with Mm -hmm. because I am mostly transitioned out of the, my second career at this point, but for about 14 and change years, I have been a massage therapist. And when people ask me why I got into massage therapy, I usually say back problems run in my family. In fact, I did a case study on how massage can help with chronic low back pain on my own mother as a part of my graduation, like I completely forgot about that. Yeah. But yes, you did. I did. I did. And her mother, who's still alive, it also has had back problems my entire life. And yeah. uh, my own dad too has had back problems. He was very well served by pretty at the time standard PT. He's a patient that definitely does what he's told. Last I knew, he still does his same back exercises, and that was a good fix for him and to my knowledge he doesn't really deal with a lot of pain but I literally sat right here in this room with you and said I don't have examples of what it looks like to live like this and do these things and my own freaking parents are examples what is going on with our culture I think it's just which kind of takes me back to my first thing about culture yes it does and our entire point about invisibility but we could talk about that all day. Oh, we absolutely could. I want to jump to the other thing we completely forgot on the first episode, which is hilarious to me. We 100% forgot Angel's very first disability.
1: And that's another thing that's definitely <laughs> invisible and really important. So it's surprising that I actually forgot to mention this as a part of my story because...
0: You just left it out.
1: I completely left it out. And I tried to start from the beginning chronologically.
0: Yeah, you didn't Um, go back far enough.
1: I guess not, because I started with age four since I was an early cut start kindergartner. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just...
0: Depression and not feeling happy. I mean, you went back that far, but it turns out you needed to go back... Another year. Another year. And change.
1: So the story goes this way. When I was quite young and this has actually also been true for my siblings as well. I suffered from ear infection after ear infection. Uh, it was just something that we dealt with. And after a while, one of the infections damaged something in my left ear. And my mother, being who she was, which is, you know a pretty observant, hands-on parent, realized that I was no longer using the phone to my left ear if someone called and I was going to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And things of that nature so she recognized that something was going on and sought help for it and because I was young and they wanted to rule out I imagine any developmental concerns I had a full battery of testing you were about three three and I don't know how old three and some change so that battery of testing included things and I Actually, I still remember one of the the testing parts of the testing was I had. Um, clue I pres- number
0: four hundred? You might be uh, neuro spicy. Yeah, tell you me your clear uh- memories from age three.
1: Tell me you're neurodiverse without telling me you're neurodiverse. Right. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I remember the person who is um, conducting at least that part of the testing ask me to do things like, okay, put the block on top of the chair, put the block underneath the chair. And I'm sure that they were testing for a number of things with Mm -hmm. that activity, but I waited until they were done. And then I said, okay, now it's your turn. You put the block on top of the chair. (laughs) You put the block underneath the chair. I also wanted to know who was behind the two-way mirror, which was my mother. And they said, well, there's no one behind there. It's just a mirror. And I didn't buy it. I was like, no, there's someone behind there. And I can't remember why I knew that. But you knew. But I knew. And ultimately, the result of that testing determined that I had uh, profound hearing loss in my left ear and uh, some in my right ear and adult diction at the age of three. And there was nothing else that was a concern. So I really benefited from the fact that I already had achieved adult diction and um, had fully developed speech Mm
0: -hmm.
1: at that age. Again, tell me you're autistic Mm -hmm. without telling me you're autistic.
0: But uh, yeah, it turns out your first disability is a uh, hearing loss.
1: And I was very fortunate to have developed speech that thoroughly at that age because otherwise I would have dealt with a um, speech impediment for mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. and difficulties with communication. I so I do have the profound loss in my left ear and about 30 percent on the right. It depends on the pitch. Higher mm. pitch is um, what I tend to hear less of, which is normal for any hearing loss. Mm-hmm. And once I was in sixth grade, we qualified for a program to pay for hearing aids, and I wore bilateral hearing aids. And so they were the -the behind-the-ear aids, and they had a cord that connected them. The idea being that sound coming in on the left side would get transferred to the right.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay.
1: And I just found it distressing Because I couldn't determine where a sound was coming from because I received it all on the right hand side. But the rest of my senses recognized that that wasn't valid. It sounds really confusing. It was it was very difficult, especially because I'd gone years without. Yeah, that's a big gap, too, from like age three ish to to 11, 10, 10. Because, again, with being, you know, early start to every Mm -hmm. school year. And honestly, they didn't make that much of a difference interesting i think just you know the perhaps the nature of the loss and i ultimately i don't know what caused it they did so much testing and i, I mean for years i had um, testing on my hearing so i had um i had just the general like hearing exams but they also did tympanograms where they checked the eardrum function and those hurt like crazy i hated those so much and they did they a num-
0: touch your eardrum
1: with a some sort of device because they're trying to measure it it's terrible. I'll have to I'm look it up. I'm making a
0: what face? I'm you know my uh, face is like ah.
1: um so what I'll do is when I'm in the editing process I'll look it up and I'll provide a link for our listeners. So for those who have not show notes in the show notes and if you're like me and you're a new uh, listener to podcast, and you're wondering what on earth are the show notes? It's just the description. For yeah. whatever reason, those are called the show notes. And when I listened to my first podcast, I was so confused for a long time. I kept looking for show notes because I take everything literally because, you know, tell me you're autistic without telling me you're autistic. And until the podcasters mentioned that the show notes were just the description I really didn't know for probably a few months what they were talking about.
0: I'm sorry. I, yes, I take things I very literally. I, didn't, I know you're very literal. I, I didn't know that one had <laughs> confunded you. I would have told you. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, that It's fine. In any case, so I'll put
1: the information about what a tampanogram is in the show notes. And so if you've never had the pleasure of experiencing one of those, you can check that out and enjoy that just for your... um...
0: Is that one of those like you can't look away, but you wish you didn't see it things?
1: You know, I'm not sure because it's something that's felt internally. You might make that face
0: and like that noise. I have enough of that going on. Listen, I am, (laughs) we've been talking about my arthritis and how severe my knee pain is, but I found out just yesterday um, in my early 40s, I need two total knee replacements. So I have a lot of internal uh, seals. Yes. I really don't need more. I don't.
1: You, then you may not want to check out the link. I'll still put it in there. Just if you're one of those people who just needs to know things.
0: The other cool nerds can do that. I'm going to sit over here and not.
1: Know You've already got like. enough of your own like internal ick. You don't need anything else. Mm-hmm. So Regarding that, though, so I I learned to read lips fairly early on. It wasn't a skill I acquired on purpose. It was just a natural. You just did. I just did because, I mean, I, I didn't hear so much anymore. <laughs>
0: um, Your brain was like, well, we've got these eyeball things
1: like we we'll use the optical orbs for something else. Mm-hmm. So I compensated is essentially what I'm getting at. And the first set of hearing aids I got just weren't super helpful. I was really hopeful. So they sound not and they were okay. Yeah. And eventually after a few years, I just stopped wearing them. <laughs> and I wore them into high school, although I did lose the first pair. It was really not entirely my fault.
0: <sighs> and now that we're parents, you you feel that loss in a different way, don't you?
1: Yeah, I do. So I did get a second pair. I still remember that rather keenly. But again, I wore them into high school, and eventually I just, I was like, it's not helpful enough to deal with,
0: first of all, the feeling of shame that comes with
1: wearing a hearing aid. You
0: go from having a completely invisible disability that you have compensated for really well to giant things on your ear with a cord connected.
1: And I have a lot of hair. But I was already bullied severely, and so I didn't want there to be one more thing for others to notice about me. Really? Yeah. And, you know, and so that was, we'll just say about 30 years ago when I first got them. The world has changed a great deal since then because now I see, fairly often, I see people wearing hearing aids and people using mobility aids. And not only are they doing it in a way that shows that they're comfortable with it, you can buy hearing aids in cool colors now. It's mm-hmm. almost seen as an accessory.
0: Well, and there are some that are barely visible. And that happens to be
1: the kind that I have, only because Currently. that particular type works the best for what I need.
0: Now, do you wear two or do you wear one?
1: The left ear is a total wash. There is no helping that. And when I so <laughs> when I got my most recent hearing aid from Costco, because all good things come from Costco because that's middle age.
0: Wait, follow-up question. Do they let you buy just one?
1: They do because you buy what you need. So I got an um, an audiogram. I think that's what they call them. Hmm. I'm thinking about that. I'll look that up too. Don't overthink it.
0: Oh, I'm getting a side eye for that. I
1: I'm cannot not, not overthink it. But um, so wrong. when I I let the Person who was doing my um, hearing test no, up front that the left one is a total loss. There's no point. She's like, okay, well, we'll do the test, you know, just to have the data because we need that, et cetera. And they look like
0: they're not doing their job if they just don't test one ear.
1: Right. At the end, she was like, okay, yep, that, I mean, there's not a whole lot we can do.
0: That's just sitting there looking pretty and holding your earrings.
1: Yes, that's literally all it's good for at this point. So I ended up getting an in-the-ear-canal hearing aid, and I honestly almost cried when I got it because it was the first thing that ever made me able to hear better. Wow. Honestly, I was blown away. And you were like 30. No, I got this one
0: maybe three years ago. You were in your late
1: 30s. Yes. I did actually get um, a hearing aid several years ago. When I was before my daughter was born, it was a better one, but it still wasn't like, oh, my gosh, this is so much better. It was like, this is better. Yay. But it still wasn't great. And I lost that one, too.
0: Did, <laughs> did your husband put a tracking device on this one?
1: He should, but it's also too small.
0: Oh, that sounds like a challenge. <laughs> I challenge you,
1: Angelique's husband. Although I don't want to mess with the internal workings of this very, very tiny thing that it's the first thing that has enabled me to understand the television ever. Okay, I used that's to fair. Just, don't mess with it. No. I'm wrong. In any case, so, so this has been a lifelong issue. It's been very challenging because, again, hearing aids just really didn't help. So for me, because I do have profound loss on the left and partial loss on the right. I miss things. Mm-hmm. And I, when I was younger and there was less pressure in other areas of my life, I could work harder to compensate. And it was less stressful to do that because I had the bandwidth mentally and otherwise to spend the energy doing so. But the longer I was in adulthood, the less able I was. And I just started giving
0: up. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm over here laughing in the background, like, What's it like to have the bandwidth to do the things? Um, huh? Not a
1: question I can answer currently. Yeah, but... I don't
0: remember that. I think I had bandwidth to do the things and overcome the things clearly because
1: I have. You were just like bouncing around life on two uh, broken down knees with arthritis that everyone told you just needed a little bit of exercise to fix.
0: And mm-hmm. um, apparently I had the bandwidth to deal with it for a while.
1: Anyhow. For a while,
0: apparently. <laughs> But I don't
1: remember it. This has been hugely impactful because Mm -hmm. it made social situations challenging. Because if there's any background noise, forget it. Uh, Except for now with the new hearing aid, there's actually a party setting and it actually works. It's wild. Nice. Not, again, with the tell me you're autistic without telling me you're autistic. I'm not exactly a party animal. But nevertheless. You do. In a restaurant, say.
0: You do seem more comfortable at larger events. Like when we get. Yes. The whole lot of us together and our kids, mercy are our children loud. Like, I know mine is literally one of the
1: loudest. Once mine discovered how she could Mm. change the volume of
0: her voice, Mm -hmm. it didn't go back down. But I digress. So... Mm -mm. No, but (sighs) I I have noticed in the last couple of years, like, park gatherings in the summer, or like, my kiddo is a summer birthday, so we often do a get everyone together, Mm -hmm. you know, at a park... You're more comfortable, and you don't... You um, used to do this thing where you sort of slid off to one side, and you'd have long conversations with one person, which suits your personality. And uh our friend group is made up of a bunch of neurodiverse, largely introverts, that have collected, been collected by a couple of us extroverts, I should probably say. Yeah, um, I think so. But you also... It seemed like you couldn't do it any other way. And now you could be in a chair that's more in a circle, and you can bounce between conversations. And...
1: That's so interesting. I didn't realize that. You know, it's funny because I I didn't realize how much I had begun to withdraw Mm -hmm. until I didn't any longer. I mean, I knew that I was doing it, and there were a lot of factors
0: that... Because complex.
1: There were a lot of factors at play and -hmm. reasons why I was withdrawing in general, but... I understand firsthand how I think how older folks can feel isolated when they don't realize that they're suffering from hearing loss and it hasn't been addressed. And that,
0: oh.
1: that's, that's actually a danger for um, uh, older people and elderly folks is the isolation that comes with hearing loss, especially if it's not recognized or addressed. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I have felt myself. On top of having uh, hearing loss and a disability that just – it can't be seen, mm-hmm. but it made me more awkward because it made social situations even more difficult than they already were,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is saying a lot because...
0: You were already uncomfortable. You already didn't understand how peers at a young age were interacting with each other. No. You didn't You didn't understand the social rules of the kids in school. No. I still, to
1: this day... I still feel profoundly socially awkward when I exist in the world as myself as opposed to my professional self. Mm. I can wear my professional self like a little suit. (laughs) And it's actually incredibly helpful because it allows me to be social and know what to do. Mm -hmm. So all the scripts that I have run in my head about how to respond in different ways to different situations and different social cues – They work really well, and so I can mask incredibly easily, Mm -hmm. but the toll it takes now that I'm an adult with a house and a child and a marriage and a career and a dog and disabled parents and that, I just don't have the bandwidth for it that I used to, and so that really makes a difference having that aid. But the other thing I came to realize several years ago is that I also have significant auditory processing delay. Mm -hmm and i think i recognized this in my mid 30s or rather i came across a diagnosis for myself because i was researching it and trying to understand why it is that very often when i hear something clearly and i recognize that the sound has entered my brain it's not too soft it's not you know washed away by background noise mm-hmm. very often my brain does the equivalent of you've got mail And then I want to know what the mail says. And my brain says, I'm sorry, that function's no longer available. And it just won't tell me. Mm -hmm. So the speech will enter my brain, but my brain cannot transcribe it for me. And it will sometimes take a minute or two minutes. And that's an eternity inside a conversation. So very often I would just say, what, what? And then just make some sort of like smile, nod, whatever, to indicate that, oh, I finally understood when the reality was. I have no idea what you just said. So all of that combined, so the actual hearing loss, the auditory processing delay, and being autistic with ADHD really made socializing extraordinarily difficult. And it is, I think, profound that I completely forgot to mention it because it is so much a part of who I am that... It didn't register as a disability to discuss because I didn't start thinking of myself as disabled and accepting that as part of my identity until very recently, right? um, When I started dealing with dysautonomia and the really devastating effects that that has had on my life.
0: Can
1: you? Oh, I'll circle word. I'll I'll circle back. So I think though. What's really important is that it is a fundamental part of my identity. It
0: inex-really is. is.
1: It's inextricable from who I am.
0: When I realized they forgot it, I called you and I was like, we forgot something super important. Yes. And we each had forgotten some super important things. And I have known you for approximately 25 years?
1: No, more. Because we met when we were 17, so, and we're 42. You're close enough. It's like like several days. So, I think that speaks to the larger point of how I want this podcast to exist to create community and to create more awareness and then also destigmatize. But I think for um, folks who are able bodied, this idea that um, disability exists in a binary, either you are fully able bodied or you are fully disabled, it's something that I understood as a norm. And something I Mm -hmm. believed when I was younger, Same. I saw disabled as being not able to function, fundamentally unable to function. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, I think the thing that's visible for many of us is seeing a person in a wheelchair. And knowing now, as I do, that that disability is so much more than just being unable to walk, for example.
0: You could have significant difficulty walking and not use a wheelchair.
1: Precisely, but I I really, I want people to understand folks who are Mm able-bodied that when I say I'm disabled, it is really a core part of my identity, and it's how I exist in the world, and I think forgetting the fact that I am hearing impaired and have an auditory processing delay, forgetting that just speaks to my point of how that is integral to who I am. And that's also not a bad thing. So the, the conversation I think we're having in general, in social conversation, in the media, in social media, this idea that making disability a part of your identity is not a good thing. And also this idea that disabled folks are few and far between and able-bodied folks are the majority. And I think that that's a misnomer. I think that ability exists on a spectrum like Mm -hmm. most things do. Mm -hmm. And so you can be someone who is fully Mm able-bodied. You can also be someone who is fully disabled in in the sense that they aren't able to do things for themselves. Mm -hmm. But there are so many folks who exist somewhere in between that, and that's normal. And it always has been. Yes. But it wasn't visible before.
0: Yes. And I actually very strongly prefer... Instead of able-bodied or disabled-bodied. This is 100% I heard on another podcast. Shout out to Interdisciplinary. Oh, yes. The Heal Well podcast. Calcates and the Brain Trust at Heal Well are amazing. And they pointed out in an episode, it's not so much that you're able-bodied. But if you look at it, the longer a human lives, the more statistically likely you are to acquire a disability. Oh, Absolutely. Because there are so many things in the human body that just we get one of and it doesn't regenerate.
1: You can't, like, request an upgrade. You don't get, Correct. like, Angelique 2.0. I've no. asked around.
0: I, I did <laughs> legit tell my first orthopedic doc yesterday, who's not special enough for me. I need a special or specialist. Uh, that
1: I mean, of course.
0: If the degeneration is that bad and the only thing that will help is a knee replacement, I did say, I would like to purchase two new knees, please. However, there are a lot of things you can't do that with. So the longer you live, the more likely something is to... uh, Our our normal phrasing would be go wrong, break down, no longer function. Therefore, what you are is temporarily able-bodied. Or as the geniuses of Healwell put it, you are a TAB. It's an acronym.
1: Okay, Sinead I heard face. tab as in like the computer key or the thing on the side of a manila folder.
0: No, temporarily able bodied. Ah, you
1: know, that makes sense. I just I think we definitely think of it in terms of a, a black and white binary system that doesn't exist.
0: And and we really think of it as external visible things only. Yes. You and I forgot about your <laughs> profound hearing loss.
1: Yes which has impacted literally every part of my life for nearly the entirety of it.
0: Mm-hmm. What about other internal issues? Oh, have mercy. Um, what about issues that are just in the brain or just with the neurological system or just with the heart? Or, just, like, pick anything that's inside mm-hmm. only that maybe doesn't work exactly as humans are kind of supposed to be designed, we think, currently. Right if it's not working right you're already disabled but if everything's working right I-, I would argue what you are is currently a tab i think that makes
1: sense and i think you know my goal is for for everyone to be more aware that many of us are existing in the world already at different levels of ability that is normal, always has been, and that stigma needs to go away so we can accommodate each other and appreciate each other for what we bring to the table. Yeah. And, you know, I remember, again, as a young person feeling such shame that I needed a hearing aid mm-hmm. and desperately not wanting that to be seen. Even as a younger adult, I still wanted to hide that. And I think with mm-hmm. only within only the last maybe five years have – Outward forms of some sort of like aid to mobility or hearing or anything else, only very recently have those become accepted and almost normalized slash celebrated.
0: Like we're finally used to them.
1: And people openly use them. Mm -hmm. And I definitely don't want to, um, to say that to mean there isn't stigma and people don't get given a hard time. That's not what I mean. I just,
0: I feel like. Oh, yeah. A it, lot of people still get a lot of grief, a lot of closed doors. A lot of judgment. A lot of judgment. A lot of assumption. Well, you can't because
1: you. Or why are you, you know, using that parking space? You obviously don't need it if you can walk. Now, and you, you know, know what
0: I didn't ask yesterday? What's that? Can I get a temporarily handicapped sticker because walking is a real pain in the butt? No. I look like I probably need to walk further and like I probably shouldn't be parking close to the building. And it didn't occur to me until this moment that I maybe could have asked that. And you probably still could. And I think that that would be reasonable. Yes, it would be. And now it's on this week's to-do list. Yes. (laughs) My chart portal message now. But it's just, I think
1: the more we can share stories and the more we can normalize The fact that disability is a part of many folks' current lived experience, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: the better off we'll all be because those that haven't experienced those things will develop compassion and empathy and understanding. And for folks like us who are disabled in some way, we'll be the recipient of that empathy and that compassion. Hey, outsiders, this is your host, Angelique, and I'm checking in to wrap up episode two in a way that makes a little bit of sense. We, uh, Margaret and I, recorded episodes two and three together, and so this is the stopping point for this episode, and I really like the conclusion that we created, where we're talking about the goal of doing this podcast, and for those of us who are disabled, Being visible on purpose and advocating for understanding and compassion and empathy, because what we want to create is that shared understanding so we don't feel like we're living on the outside of society, so that we don't feel like we are different than, you know, the quote normal person. In my experience, normal has been over time debunked and this has happened for me in quite a few ways not least of which being the fact that i am physically disabled and deal with managing several chronic health conditions but also the fact that i finally had words to put to the fact that i've always been different and known that i just wasn't quote like everyone else and so As we wrap up this episode, I just wanted to share a little bit about what you'll hear next time. Next time we'll be talking about where we work, um, the purpose of the school that we work for, and the way in which we've been accommodated as employees, which exists within the larger framework of how we serve our students and how we include our staff in that. And we'll also talk about some other related topics. Finally, I did want to share that going forward, episodes four and beyond, our podcast will have a more structured format. That format will look like this. We will be focusing each episode on a particular topic, whether it be... Autism spectrum disorder or multiple sclerosis or ankylosing spondylitis or any of the number of things that either myself or my counterpart Margaret or any of our upcoming guests deal with. So in each episode, we will look in the beginning at creating an understanding of whatever our topic is because those of us who are disabled or have and manage chronic illnesses, especially more rare chronic illnesses, we, we do know that not everyone knows what those things are. And that lack of knowledge is sometimes a barrier to understanding. So we will start each episode once we get to episodes four and beyond by explaining the condition that we're talking about and giving you some resources to check out on your own the main segment of the episode will be focused on a person's story. It might be mine. It might be Margaret's. It might be another person who is joining us as a guest and they will share their lived experience and what has, what it has been like for them to exist in the world as a disabled person who isn't seen And then finally, we will share some opportunities for advocacy and some resources for anyone who listens that might also either have that same condition or suspect that they might. And that will give them some opportunities for places to reach out so that they have a starting point for managing those things, or maybe just understanding what someone they love and care about is managing. In our last Uh, introductory episode, episode three, like I said, we will talk about workplace accommodations and how fortunate we've been in our accommodations and discuss a little bit about what it would look like for accommodations to be more universal and how that might impact the lives of those who are invisible as disabled folks. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate your, I would say, viewership, but since it's a podcast, that doesn't really apply. But we do appreciate the time that you give us and your support. We hope that you're having a great day and we'll see y'all later.